welcome to the show, David. Happy to have you here. We thought we'd give you an opportunity to give a, a two-hour rebuttal on the positive side instead of being put on the ropes as you were in the last interview. Actually, that, that interview was what got me started to do the uh, radio shows again, Terry and I, and we're really happy to have you here. Well, thank you. I'm an inspiration. Yes, yeah. yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> well, hi, Terry, and Hello. hi, Jonathan. Hello. Uh, thanks for having me on. And, um, you know, I, it is a, uh, it, it's kind of a, a, a relief or uh, nice to sort of go into a friendly camp, you know, and it's very weird. I, I don't know how many people saw the other or listened to the other interviews. You know, that was a perfect example of somebody that's been totally educated by the, uh, you know, the protest uh, faction, you know, that are out there very noisy about Scientology, this, Scientology, that, and all he's heard about is the negative. So you get all these questions. It's a bit of a challenge, but it'd be nice to be able to go into some things that are a little more on the positive side of life, you could say. Sure. That's what we want to do. How did you get into Scientology and when? I read... Uh, I came across this kind of a long story. I don't want to make a, everybody's getting into Scientology story. You know, uh, basically, I read Dianetics and Modern Science of Mental Health. I was in college, it resonated with me, and answered some questions. Reached out to the nearest org was about 150 miles away, which was Detroit Org. And uh, some friends were going down to Detroit the upcoming weekend to a Jethro Tull concert. <laughs> and uh, and I, they dropped me off at the org. I spent the time at the org, and they went to the concert. And then uh, I ended up going back and going on staff, and the rest is history. But it was in Detroit in 1971. Quite a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. Turns out it is. <laughs> but uh, time flies, as they say. Uh-huh. Funny side stories. I was into science fiction, and you know, there was the famous, uh, at that time, it was the Foundation Trilogy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I went in the Oregon in the reception area. I was talking to the receptionist. She was perfect, you know, handling me, sort of duplicated everything. On the wall and behind me, this big full wall had like these columns, and it was divided up into sections and describing different parts of the organization and along the bottom of it there was a break line you know a horizontal line and it was titled foundation (laughs) (laughs) and i went anyway you'd have to i guess have read the foundation trilogy the foundation series to kind of get why that was a a moment you know yeah was there i went on staff for i was on staff only for about a year and a half and then uh went out ended up going out to california in 72 with a girlfriend she was an artist she was a singer and so she wanted to go to the celebrity center so i got on lines there Uh at celebrity center in 72 so what was Scientology I, like back then as far as the church? Well, I uh, my first post, well, I, I studied, uh, I, I was put on the TTC, did the Dianetics course, and then I also did the supervisor's course, and I was put on supervising was my first post. And um, so the, the academy and the basic courses, I mean, we were flooded. There was probably, I don't know, every evening there might have been uh, anywhere from 30 to 50 people in the, uh, in the course room. And uh, another, I was getting audited. I had started getting audited myself on Dianetics, and I, uh, I ran whole track very easily. So uh, the May 9th Congress in 1971, they were still doing congresses, uh, was at a downtown Detroit hotel, and I was the uh, 
uh, PC. Uh, I did a de they did a dem demonstration session, and um, so we ran Dianetics and ran uh, went whole track and all that. So even back then, you know, there were several hundred people at this congress, and um, events were a little more realistic, not these staged grandiose, pompous, <laughs> right. horrible things. And the course rooms were uh, full. Of course, you know, it was a typical staff situation where we made no money, you know. That's why I ended up leaving. I wasn't on staff that long. I said a year and a half. It's probably only about a year. And worked in the Michigan area and then went out to California at the end of 72. You know, it was very much a bustling, hustling scene that... Oh. Um, you know, very active, lot, lots of people, lots of uh, stuff going on. Uh -huh. so. What would you say the aggregate tone level at the time was uh, in the course rooms and in New York? Well, there's action, you know, people are doing TRs and bull baiting, and we didn't have separate theory and practical, so you'd have people yelling at ashtrays, <laughs> you know, uh, or doing, uh, actually, they'd go outside or up on the roof or something to do that, but... Uh -huh. um, you know, upper end doc TRs would be in the same room. So there was just a lot of activity going on and people coming and going and people would hang out. You'd go to lunch or dinner or uh, afterward, somebody would be playing guitar and be singing. It's just like a fun atmosphere. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was tiring, lots of work. And like I say, we weren't paid much, but it was definitely a happening thing. Mm -hmm. What was your take on that at the time as far as the outside world versus what you were seeing in the course room and everything? Was it a, a dramatic difference from college for you? At that time, I was not a highly motivated college student that was mainly staying out of Vietnam at the time. <laughs> so there wasn't this cult feeling. People would wander in off the street. We'd go out. One of the drills would be to go downtown Detroit and pass out these little flyers to invite people to a free introductory lecture. Talk to people. There was a, it wasn't like this cultish feel to it. People had, now it's hard to find somebody who hadn't heard of Scientology. Back then, you could very easily find lots of people that hadn't heard of anything of it. So... I guess, you know, it was exciting to me, you know, it was fun, and I was learning stuff, uh, doing TRs, you know, you go, I went exterior on numbers and, you know, all kinds of running whole track end grabs, you know, <laughs> um, pretty wild experiences, and talking to some of the, there was a guy named Fred Fairchild who used to have, he, he was famous for being able to make himself uh, grow an inch or half an inch, he was one of the first, I think it was clear number 30 or something like that, he was an old timer, I don't know, there was just an aura of, everything's possible, get this stuff out to the world and the world's going to be a better place mm -hmm. feeling of hopefulness yeah there's hope optimism the tone level is just very uh very high i would say so could we talk about the sea org and the guardian's office at the time uh after i got uh, was in uh, los angeles for a year or two i uh, started doing some work for the guardian's office uh, they had uh, public outreach or a couple of programs. Uh, I have a claim to fame. I was the first PES for public executive secretary, Div 6, over Div 6, for the first attempt to put the admin tech into business. It was called the Business Management Organization, and it was run out of the Guardian's office. And the idea was to deliver admin tech to businesses. And we had a couple of clients. What's the guy's name? Um, Beck's dad. You know who Beck is? Oh, yeah. yeah. doesn't matter. He's a famous arranger. Turned out to be, yeah. late, years later, a Composer. famous arranger and everything. He was one of the first, delivered the first course. Him and his partner at the time delivered a org board course. But that was, and then there was another program that I worked on for them, which was um, uh, through the Department of Housing and Urban Development of the U.S. government. The church was a certified uh, agent to deliver financial 
consulting to under or low income new home buyers to counsel them on how to manage their finances so they could keep the new home that they just got through a HUD program. Wow. So there's like a lot of this type of stuff going on. And then I ended up uh, having a romantic relationship with a lady who was turned out she was the head guardian, which is the deputy guardian U.S. She was his assistant or his uh, communicator. So I got to know all those guys. We'd, you know, we'd go to dinner. They'd have Christmas parties, whatnot, go out to movies. The Guardian's office was a very much a secular organization, meaning contracted the staff, but they had apartments, they had cars, they went to movies, out to dinner. They were integrated into the environment. So they weren't SO. Yeah, they were. Uh, the point is, they were secular. They were operating in the environment, in the world. They were not separate from it. Is a cloistered group, which is a you know a cult, really. Uh, difference, I think, is very when you come up to present time and see how the fact that the Sea Org has been all its history has always been this, you know, closed group cut off from the outside world and sort of ignoring the outside world and the catastrophe that that's brought. Now, the GEO had its problems, you know, obviously it made mistakes, it did this and that, but the key thing is they were educated too. You know, these were most of the ones that I knew were all college educated people that had uh, knew how to deal with the world, as opposed to the GEO, the ones, you know, we find out later, top management, you know, are high school dropouts. Mm -hmm. they, uh, so, uh, I think in the future, you know, we're going to, if we get into a section about the future of Scientology, that's going to be a key element, is that a Reformed church must have a dominant or a very important secular component and secular management, as far as I'm concerned. So that's why I made a, a point of... What was your impression of the Sea Org? What you saw of it at the time uh, in L.A.? Well, the first one, Sea Org members I met, they were dicks. Sorry if that's not a good word on this family-friendly friendly podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're supposed to... Now we learn this is ethics presence thing they're supposed to have, right? Anyway, so they had that attitude versus... When I got out to L.A. and I worked, I mean, I would walk into the G.O., into their inner sanctum. I'd see their private, you know, confidential things. I mean, it was no, like, huge separation from the public and the staff. You know, part of the part of the gang, whereas the, the Sea Org, you know, it's like, and I've gotten to know a lot of Sea Org members. I've worked at the delivery orgs, you know, like AOLA and FLAG, and gotten to know a lot of them. I and mean, a lot of them are wonderful people, but they get something ingrained in them. Uh, very strange. You know, it's reverse Dianetics, really. That's been just ground into them. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't ask certain questions. You can't talk about certain things, you know. With the GEO, you could ask anything. I mean, I don't remember any question that I didn't bring up to my girlfriend, uh, who was GEO staff, that forbidden or whatever. That's definitely got to get that, that cult of the Sea Org removed. And by the way, it's very interesting, because over the years, when I've ever said anything about the Sea Org, I get attacked by excessively. Even the guys that are protesting against the church, you can say anything think about L. Ron Hubbard and the, you know, the church, but boy, you start talking about the Sea Org and they're still defensive about it. It's like it's still a cult just wrapping up. The Sea Org has still got that, even when they they leave apparently, there's still that, that allegiance to it somehow. They take offense if you, if you say something uh, 
it's just odd that it's okay to trash L. Ron Hubbard with, in, with a lot of them, but don't say anything bad about the Sea Org. You know? Why do you suspect that is? People are sort of like in, in the trenches. They survived the trench warfare. And so there's a bonding that occurs, a lot of them. Uh, and, you know, other than beyond that, I don't know. I mean, it cuts really deep. The stuff that's happened, especially the Sea Org in the Miscavige area. Now, pre-Miscavige, you don't find that quite so much. There's a lot of people that were in the SO. A good friend of mine, Howard Dickman, for example, he loved, he had a great experience on the RPF, you know, back in the 70s. And so it was a different whole thing prior to the takeover by uh, the Miscavige crowd in the early 80s and since. So the guys that got it were in that, in the more recent Sea Org experience, are the ones that seem to have the most damage from it. So sort of like warriors coming back from the war. You love your comrades, you love your, your buddies from the war, you don't like the war, you don't like the generals, but don't say anything about the infantry. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, maybe a symptom of uh, PTSD, you know, I, that's a psych term, but it is, you know, something observable. Did this sort of behavior eventually lead to why you got out of the church in the early 2000s? Well, well, the, the Sea Org had taken over, so but it belonged for, you know, 25, 30 years by then. So the, um, the trail of my gradual exit was uh, started with, well, it started a little before the golden age attack but in 96 with the golden age attack i went oh my god what's going on here and i was one of the top uh full-time fsms at that time and they sent a mission in to to attack the fsms basically and a lot of things were happening when you start attacking dissemination you know that you know that something's really fishy um i was out i i had some interactions with um the head of the whole div six uh, international, the int executive over all of Div 6. I was very unimpressed. She didn't know her stuff. She'd never disseminated. She didn't know the basic policy. She made wrong decisions. I went, wow. Because you expect because they're so isolated, you know, you can't call up lines, you can't talk to these people, but you finally find out that these guys are not so bright up there, apparently. So you start to wonder. And then there were changes, just methodical, incremental, bit by bit, making it harder to get paid, harder to, even though LRH put it in put it in stone that you pay instantly on FSM commissions. The orgs just found way after way after way to delay, stall, not pay, mm-hmm. make it harder and harder and harder, blame the FSM. Like if a guy went on course and blew, it was the FSM's fault. <laughs> you know, it's got that bizarre and that crazy. Were there so, any other lines where you saw things, demarcation, where you saw things changing after so many years beyond the FSMC? changes well yeah i saw uh fewer and fewer people uh you know the churches just weren't doing as well i was on i actually toured for aola i'd go out and be the featured speaker at events in other cities and so i saw the org struggling and not doing as well the emphasis was off training uh they weren't making they weren't doing internships just things like that i saw very good auditors being told they had to retrain everything you know class eights you know that had been auditing the field forever so if you're going to attack auditors and you're going to attack fsming key key points of all of Scientology so just I didn't know at that point that the top guy was a raving lunatic you know you uh-huh. just see these bad indicators it wasn't until really uh 09 that I really knew for sure okay an SP is running the Church of Scientology what brought that <laughs> to your is, attention how did you find the, that out 
the truth rundown when that came out and the stories about the um, beatings. When I heard that they were actually hitting people up at in base, I went, "Okay, this guy's nuts." Because that was beyond, beyond, beyond. My, in my wildest inner imagination, would I have imagined that people would be uh, physically hitting and striking others? Right. You know, for me, that was just any. You can sort of say, well, this is organization is poorly run. I don't want, you know, it's like they're going badly. It's a lot of bad mistakes, bad decisions, whatnot. But that's a, there's a whole different level you go to when you realize that the head guy is a raving crazy. So that's a good dovetail for us to get into the title of our show, which is if it's not fun, it's not Scientology. Yeah. When did the fun start going out? And then let's talk about how Scientology has been fun for you and why would something like Scientology be fun in the first place uh, for our, our listeners specifically? <laughs> yeah. So I can imagine somebody coming along that's all they've read is like Ortega's blog and renders and they've seen the videos and the TV shows and the movies. They go, well, what are you, not Scientology fun? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Are you kidding? It's because, you know, that's just the whole narrative that's been out there and that's one of the reasons, you know, I appreciate doing this type of thing and and getting a chance to get our voice out there. Yes, Scientology is fun. Jonathan, you're an auditor. When you sit across somebody and you see the wins that your PCs have, or if you go on course and you do some training routines or do these things, you know, you have a ball doing it. Mm -hmm. It's the bottom line. And it's actually, you can measure whether or not it's Scientology by whether or not it was fun. In other words, if you go into an ethics, somebody says, well, here, let's do an ethics action, and you have some cognitions, you come out of it, and you feel better, and you're happy about it, that was Scientology. <laughs> if you feel like you got invalidated, you know, somebody uh, is like trying to suggest you have withholds and makes you feel like crap, basically, that was not Scientology. It was reverse Scientology. That was black dynetics. That was, you know, and likewise, if you had a bad experience in an org and you didn't get the service you were expecting, that was not Scientology it was not fun. Mm -hmm. Came away from it and you said, "Wow, that was fun," or "That was good." You know, well, that was Scientology, and that's like the the rule of thumb you can use. It's kind of like the rule of thumb I use on uh, how, you know how you measure how much counterintention there is to something you try to do is how hard it is to do it. Mm -hmm. You can measure the counterintention by how difficult it is to get push the thing through. Sure. So uh, it's same with. Uh, you can measure whether or not it's Scientology by whether or not it's fun. So if it's not fun, it's not Scientology. Right. One of the one of the things that I was I was told by a friend of mine when I was on training at Flag in '88 was he was a, a fellow from Denmark and he was being trained as a course supervisor. His wife had been on the L's and he had had quite a bit of experience in Scientology at that. Peter, I forget his last name, but one day he told me I had found myself in lower conditions uh, on course and was working through them. He said, well, you you seem happy. And I said, well, you know, I am happy. And he said, well, one thing you need to remember is, is that if your ethics are out, you're unhappy. And if you're happy, your ethics are in. And I said, wow, that's, you know, and I think I might have been on OEC Zero, the uh, Organization Zero course at the time. And that wasn't something that was in, in anything that I'd read, but it was one of the most um, stabilizing things I'd ever seen. And, and that really does apply to Scientology as a group and as a subject as a whole. If it isn't fun, it isn't Scientology because there's obviously some ethics out as far as the delivery or the way people are being treated that sort of a thing. And that was one of the reasons why I think a lot of people got out is that it stopped being fun. 
Right. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's that simple. It's idiotically simple. Uh, I took breaks, and over the you know forty six whatever years, there was a period in the late seventies uh, uh, they hadn't raised prices in quite a while. So the thing was, well, we're going to raise them ten percent a month to get them more in line with and caught up with inflation. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's reasonable. But this went on for like a couple of years. It yeah. just got insane, you know. And a lot of people left, and I didn't leave, but I did take a break, you know, for several years. I just went did work, played golf. And friends, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you you just treat it as you can drive people off with uh, very easily. You know, just do something stupid with it, um, and, or mean with it, or try to control people with it. You know, and it's not fun. Right. How did that play a role in what would later be the kernel of the Scientolopedia website? Well. You know, looking at the whole scene uh, in the field, you know, the field is generally, uh, you know, not staff. But when I say the field, I'm talking about people that are not only not staff, but not, you know, connected with the church anymore. So just looking at that, the whole uh, narrative that's available out there, the dominant voices were Marty Rathbun and Mike Rinder and all these ex SO guys that are doing the press interviews are dominating the online um, Facebook and the blogs. So I, you know, I just said none of this is really telling the story, the real story of Scientology, like the biographies of the people, the biography of LRH, and the fact that it's, uh, this is, you know, can I say something? Because the thing, uh, part of the title or the subtitle of this is uh, Making Tony Ortega's Head Explode, 10 Ways to Make his head explode. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anybody that might be in close proximity to Ortega right now, you might want to step back, you know, because there could be some collateral damage here. But uh, <laughs> uh, see, I love L. Ron Hubbard mm-hmm. and I love Scientology. Now you say that out, I, I put it out on Twitter, you know, that people love L. Ron Hubbard and oh man, it just, you get barraged with all this, you know, attacks of, uh, are you crazy? The man is blah, 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 you know, right. it just drives them crazy. But the fact is, you know, uh, L. Ron Hubbard was just an incredible genius. You know, he was an off the charts genius and not perfect, made mistakes. Yes, we know all about those groundbreaking, paving through new ground, the discovering a whole new paradigm of how to look at the human existence. Scientology is basically the reflection of all of his work. since all of his, you know, research, and then it's the best practices that he came up with on what to do, how to how to change the human condition. So what's not to love about those things? It's the greatest thing since sliced bread, as we used to say. There's people that are hurting out there. Mm-hmm. People that are, you know, they really got real stuff in their life. They're not happy. They're depressed. They're, uh, you know, searching for answers. They don't know who they are, where they're going, where they should be. Uh, just on and on and on, all these things in their life. So let's not pretend that out there everybody's just wonderful and Scientology is this evil thing, not needed or whatever. That couldn't be farther from the truth. We've got this miraculous tool that is a lot of fun and a stone-cold genius who came up with it. And that's the true narrative that should be heard and should be gotten out more and more. It wasn't. So I decided, along with, we'll go into more detail about the technology behind Scientology and so forth, but I just knew that, you know, we had to put something out there that gets some uh, traction that to counter this narrative that's, you know, just uh, droning on and on and on. I mean, you get out of the church, 
And your first five minutes, you go, you know, you go to the internet, you're going to read all this stuff that you've been denied, you know, uh-huh. and maybe let's say a week or let's be really gracious and say six months. Uh-huh. Okay, let's let's really give them the benefit of the doubt and say for one year you can delve into all of that. Right. <laughs> you know? But at some point it gets a little tired and old, you know. Okay, I got the point. The church is screwed. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. You know. And so that's my motivation is to sort of flip it around and let's let's put the better story, the more the truer, bigger broader, more fun story out there for people. Mm-hmm. At the time, this would have been pre-interview, you mentioned around 2010, you started Scientolopedia and became of the became aware of the Wikimedia Commons. In the pre-interview, you mentioned that you started Scientolopedia in 20, 2009. Uh, did you go looking for the Wikimedia Commons software to start Scientolopedia? How did, how did that whole thing start for you? I wanted to do a, um, I came up with an idea. I, I read something about Heber Jens, which as you know, he was, he's still the nominal president of the church, but you know, he's been sequestered, <laughs> hidden, captured, whatever. Kidnapped. Uh, at the end base for forever. Okay. I knew him back in the day at Celebrity Center. He was married to Yvonne Gillum Jens. Wonderful guy. I knew him and I heard that he was, when I read that he had been in the hole and abused and whatnot, I created a website called Free Heber and I looked around at the different software and I decided on MediaWiki, which is the same software that Wikipedia uses. I figured, well, here's a way we can categorize things, we can itemize, and I just wanted to learn that. I was curious about that software. So I put that website up. While I was learning that I was also germinating this stuff about you know a bigger, better, more positive uh, approach to everything, not a protest or not a whistleblower type thing. That's where it really germinated. 2011, I started writing about it and I proposed it. I started a Facebook group, which today is the largest Facebook that is positive about Scientology called Scientology Outside the Church, Scientolopedia. So if you do a search on Facebook and you want to join that group, you're welcome. Uh, I started that group just with a few handful of friends, you know, just talking about this idea of how we could categorize the subject, uh, take all these bits and pieces and put them more organized in one place. And then I don't know how much you want to go into Scientolopedia right now, but that's where it germinated from. In the beginning, what did you do to establish the website? and what was the response? Well, I got a lot of good positive response. Everybody said, that's a great idea, Dave. You do it. See, I was putting the idea out there hoping that somebody would see the brilliance of it. Oh, and do it for you. <laughs> and, 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 yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to do that. You know, that didn't happen. It just sort of languished there. Put post in the Free Heber site and it sat there for a year and nobody had like said, really? I'm going to do something with this. <laughs> so I made, well, I guess I got to start talking about it and writing about it and then finally I begrudgingly said okay I'm going to put up a little demo site of it you know to just sort of give to see what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. because when you're talking about technology to our uh, brethren which is a bit aged generally (laughs) you said it I didn't (laughs) it didn't really uh, resonate but they they could tell my enthusiasm and and like Trey Lott said you know that's a great idea Dave you're going to do great with it (laughs) that's not what I meant but anyway, so I ended up um, putting the demo site up in uh, late 2011. By the way, the first name I had for it was not 
Scientopedia was the, I wanted to call it the Virtual Global Org. And I actually started developing the website under that name, had the domain and everything, but then too unwieldy. So I came up with, and Scientopedia is a mouthful. It's not that easy to say. It's not the best name, you know. But I wasn't going to get any support from the popular blogs, from the whole, all the conversation was dominated by the Sea Org guys, and they weren't going to help me one bit. I knew that. I had to come up with a name that would sort of resonate, people would understand what it was about, and create our own grassroots movement. Scientology communicates. People get it, or uh-huh. at least pretty much. They, to a degree, they get it, not the full understanding of what its potential is. At least they get an idea of what it's about. So the Virtual Global Org was my concept, and get great search traffic, and then um, have a central sort of uh, replace the missing central or brick-and-mortar buildings that we don't have anymore. Uh-huh. From 2011 to present, did you see a... An increase in traffic, an increase in people wanting to do things on Scientology, it being something where everybody can contribute. How did that all roll out between 2011 and, and 2017? It's been an uphill struggle even to this day, although we've had quite a good number of people. Uh, I, I say a good number of people that have contributed, like yourself. You meter, uh, reads film, drills film on there. The admin scale, we've had lots of people contribute biographies, and we've pulled stuff from other sites, you know, we give credit, but reposted them on Scientopedia. We've created a lot of our own content, but it's been an uphill because of um, just a lot of barriers. You know, people are so wrapped up in the church or they don't have the technical skills. They feel they don't. But I should say two uh, very staunch contributors are people that have contributed a lot to it probably like one is uh anthony phillips just to give you an idea he's got 64 some years in scientology so uh-huh. that gives you a little idea but he's developed he's posted lots of lots of content and brought over stuff from other stuff he's done online and likewise pat krennic who's in that same uh, bracket you know 60 plus years uh, of scientologist she's post she's found a way so you know these people that think know how to use it blah 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 i say nonsense or i say my, i think to myself I usually don't say this, but I think flunk out study tech. (laughs) Come on. Come on. I'm not a web developer myself. It's all just a matter of applying study tech to learning an area and going ahead and develop. The site, you know, is, uh, you know, we're over 600 content pages. There's 5,000 or so pages to the site. We've had over 20,000 edits. There's 50 extensions. In other words, bare bones software is like the frame of the car. Now you can start adding on things to it, you know, to make the videos play or the audios play or do this and do that you can extend the capabilities of software so there's over 50 extensions have been added on and it's um you know it's the largest positive site on the internet it gets uh, good traffic it does things that no other site can do like for example if jonathan were to post a success story from one of his pcs on the little on the site it'll automatically post that in your personal page on your auditor page same time be then available through our little search tool so if it was say a success story on on grade one person goes and uses that tool and selects grade one and it'll give all the success stories that have been posted uh for grade one 
Mm-hmm. There's a lot of little, uh, you know, nifty things that are unique to the site. As far as the uh, website goes and the number of hits and everything, have you seen a dramatic increase in the last couple of years, or has it just been kind of a steady increase? Well, there's spikes, you know, like a TV show or a movie comes out about Scientology, and then it spikes, or I, you know, somebody posts something and we spread it around. I mean, I do a lot of marketing through uh, social media and so forth, so uh, it's definitely it's much more state range than you know a year ago or even two years ago it's not like i call them the porn the scientology porn sites you know uh (laughs) that's the uh the train wreck sites you know the ones that uh they get a lot more traffic you know because that's far more interesting to uh you know the reactive mind no we do real well and like i say it's it's been a continual um increase or gradual i would say there's not really any dramatic huge uh, jumps but just a nice gradual uh, i guess a normal mm-hmm. right you definitely got the attention of the church at one point they had you or they had facebook i guess take your site down yeah it's interesting because that's another interesting topic is uh, we're the only ones that have been attacked by the church that i know of you know as far as uh, the church going after they do these other crazy things uh creating bogus domains on people to try to slime them but um it was in uh, october of 2015 so a year a little over a year and a half ago or yeah they got us taken down it would have only been for a few days but i let it run its course it was a a copyright the site was down ended up being down for 10 days the church never followed through in other words they legally had to do a next step which they didn't do because i don't think they really want to try to defend their copyright claims in in a court of law so that's what i let roll i let that roll out for 10 days to see if they would respond and moved the site outside of their uh, clutches. We've been happily up ever since. But the thing about why they would attack us is we're actually a bigger threat than these um, whistleblower sites. See, what what the grip is that the church has over the parishioners, well, they have the disconnection threat is one, but they also have the threat of their eternal salvation, you could exactly. say, you use a a quirky term, but the threat of, you know, not being able to go up the bridge. Well, God help us if we would actually advertise and promote and show that people are going up the bridge. There is auditing available, actually, uh, and people are doing it in droves outside of the church. That's a big threat to the church's uh, grip on the parishioners. So we're a threat core at the base. It's, it's a bigger threat. You know, these guys that are banging away at the latest IAS stupidity or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, because they can Prisoners don't hear that. They're not listening to that. It doesn't get through them. But somebody whispers, you know, I just did my, uh, got through OT3 outside of the church. Parishioners are going to hear that message, and believe me. Or as somebody says, believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Mark Schraffler in one of the interviews mentioned his viewpoint on it is, and mine is, that the church isn't interested in people doing Scientology anymore. What would you say, David, to that statement? putting it out there for people. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, I agree, and it's deeper than that. The uh, whole takeover of the, the takeover theory, let's call it that, the takeover of the church theory uh, was that we had to stop this uh, making of OT's business. That is not acceptable at this time on this planet to be making any OT's. They water it down, you know, they got uh, enough there 
that it's, you know, there's L. Ron Hubbard is on the cover and they can read some stuff and do some TRs and things. The people aren't free. They're not going to really free any Thetans to any degree. And um, it's just a sham. Scientology is a corporation that owns real estate and it owns trademarks. Its ownership of copyrights is a bit uh, questionable. But that's all it is. It's just a corporation that owns real estate and trademarks and profits off that. That's the sad case. Mm -hmm. Have you seen the benefit of Scientolopedia to the field? Uh, have you gotten any feedback from people in finding auditors and getting training, viving failed purposes and things like that? What what kind of success stories have, have people sent you? I hear about um, people that find an auditor through the website. Uh, people tell me that they um, they read an article. Like I think the, we're going to talk about it later. The biography of John Gillum Jens has changed the field, in my opinion. When you listen to all these uh, blogs and, um, you know, hate bloggers and uh, so forth, you get the impression that this is a bunch of wild-eyed, crazed cultists. Mm -hmm. See, I'm offended by that because I've known personally hundreds of Scientology. I've known known of, and coming close proximity to thousands, and I've known of tens of thousands of people and seen them at events and interacted with them or crossed paths, been in the same course rooms, whatnot. Tens of thousands of people that are damn good people. They're not cultists. They're not crazy. They're the best people on the planet. These are great people, a great subject. The effect that I see with that Scientolopedia has had is I do see we get feedback, not as much, you know, people don't originate as much as I'd like. I don't have a way of tracking the clicks that come from my site to, you know, an auditor's website, but we get enough feedback. I know that uh, it's changing. I've seen it in the groups because I moderate, you know, a couple of, like I said, the large Facebook group and a few other pages and stuff. Uh, so I get enough feedback to see the tone, the timber, the way that people are talking, the way conversations went four or five years ago in these groups versus now is radically different. People have come up tone and to more, you know, increasingly in the U.S., have distanced themselves from the dominance of these XSO bloggers and stuff, which is an interesting thing because the farther you get away from the U.S., like in Europe and Russia is going gangbusters and South America and so forth, they're doing a lot better with Scientology the farther you get away from the, the axis of evil, you could say. What do you think is the primary difference between, you were saying earlier, when people first get out of the church, they have what they used to call a period of decompression where they look up everything, read everything, kind of distance themselves. After that time, it basically goes one of three ways. Either they do absolutely nothing with Scientology and just kind of go into what seems to be apathy. They go on the attack and start, you know, doing some of the hate blogs like you were mentioning. They start doing something in the field, in my opinion, and probably yours, productively, like you, what do you think is the main impetus for why somebody continues trying to, as they would say, fight the good fight and continue on in the field or choose one of the other two paths? Got a lot of different types of people, different stories, you know, different levels of training, different levels of processing. I mean, these guys that were gangbang sex jack in the SO, uh, not surprised that they don't want to have anything to do with it when they get out. <laughs> you know, it's like that was pretty ugly, pretty brutal. But we got all just a lot of different types of people. And I mentioned that I was an FSM, I had, uh, you know, for a dozen years, that's how I made my living. So I got very attuned to the public and to handling ARC broken 
public. A lot of that deep understanding goes has gone into Scientolopedia and why it's helping to de-stimulate and desensitize people to their bad experiences with the subject. When they find out that, hey, these are regular folks, good and bad, ups and downs, had struggles with it, they're still at it, they're still using it, and they've had wins. It's a professional, it's a sophisticated subject. It's not just some fly-by-night cult thingy that's going to go away just because somebody comes out with a movie. Very mature, very uh, smart, capable people that have pushed it forward down these years, you know, these tens of thousands of people. They've forwarded this movement and brought it uh, to where it is today, for good or for bad. You know, a lot of the good is still there, but the church is obviously bad. But out here in the field, we're downloading right now. We made available downloads of the materials, and we sort of kicked it back up. But before it went offline for various technical reasons, distributed like uh, somewhere in 10 terabytes of books and lectures and stuff. And now in the last five days or so since we've been back up with it, we're running, just starting to get some momentum, but we're distributing over 30 uh, gigabytes a day of the materials. So we've got this very robust, very uh, vibrant subject and people involved in it. And the ones that have chosen to attack the church, well, fine, you know, they can spend their energy on attacking the church. The ones that don't want to have anything to do with it, that's fine, too. You know, we got to take this must-have, this overreaching to them uh, off and let them know that, hey, I'm here. By the way, this is a little commercial. I do audit and train people. So anybody that wants a, would want to come to Nashville, you know, they're welcome. But people that have had a bad experience, I would always offer, you know, a free session, whatever, a session or two. Just get, get the person to the point where they realize that something could be done about however they feel about either whether it's Scientology or something else going on in their life. Well, David, thank you very much for being on the show. This will be our first half this week, and we'll cover the present and future of Scientology and the Internet tech and so on. We really appreciate you being on the show. Well, great. Thanks for having me.